0: God chooses these names for his Messiah. He could have chosen any name. And for the month of December, we've been looking at these three in particular. Now the fourth one this evening, uh, Prince of Peace. Peace is something that we all want, and it is probably one of the most elusive things in our lives. And when I, when I say peace, I don't mean like, okay, now we're sitting down, we got a seat in church, we're okay, all of our shopping's done, and we can catch our breath. That's a very temporary piece. You may appreciate it right now. You may appreciate the fact that everything's ready to go, or you're not hosting tonight, you get to go to somebody else's house, but that's only going to last for today. And then tomorrow, you're going to be right back at it. That's a very temporary type of peace. We're also not talking about a peace where we simply have an absence of hostility for a little while. We're not talking about a break in the action. When God uses this term, Prince of Peace, he's speaking about a peace that is a deep and eternal peace for our soul, for our our deepest longings and our deepest needs. So you may be coming in this evening, you may feel, you know, you've just been reunited with family and you're going to be in town for just enough time and you feel very peaceful. You may also be thinking, you know what, the year was pretty good. And, and right now, peace is, is, is in a, I'm in a pretty good spot when it comes to peace. But there are probably just as many of us, if not more, who are like, yeah, I, I just really don't have much peace right now. Business is a struggle, or my marriage is uh, a real challenge for me right now, or our children are struggling in some way. And, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm up. And I'm staring at the ceiling, and I'm, and I'm asking the question, why? And I don't have any real, deep, and abiding answers. That's the type of Prince of Peace that we need. And that's the type of Prince of Peace that God provides. So while we can have a little bit of fun with it to begin with, I I do take very seriously the understanding that you and I, all of us, need the peace that God offers. So we're going to look one more time, as we have throughout the month of December, at Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 6 and 7. Hear the word of God. For to us a child is born... This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Will you pray with me for just a moment? Father, we thank you on this Christmas Eve that while peace is at best elusive and most often temporary, that the peace that you offer that is supernatural, the peace that is not of this world but of your kingdom abides forever. And it is not out of our grasp. We cannot earn it. We could never deserve it. We certainly can't demand that you give it to us. It comes to us by faith, by trusting in your Messiah, the one provided so that we who were at unrest, we who had broken peace with you, we who had rebelled against you, could be brought back into fellowship, could be made right, and not just for a moment, not just for a day or for a week, but for all time. And so, Father, we pray that you would teach us this lesson tonight. What I have to say is completely irrelevant. It carries no weight. It is of no importance. It's simply one more person's opinion, and we have enough of those already. But, Father, your message carries with it the weight of eternity and the glory of Jesus. So we pray that you would teach us. Forgive me my sin. Please don't let me be a barrier or a hindrance to anyone hearing your message today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the sermon in a nutshell where we're headed this afternoon for just a few minutes. Messiah, Prince of Peace, as named in Isaiah, has both the power and the authority to reconcile humanity to God, thereby creating an authentic, eternal peace. So there's two aspects of this we want to look at. We have two observations in this text today. The first one is this notion of power and authority. I mean, I can wish you well. I can say, you know, peace to you, but I don't really have any authority or any power to actually make that happen. I can't change your life. I don't have any transformative power that can move you to a different place where you really, truly, and genuinely have peace in your life. This passage claims that God is sending someone who has both the power and the authority to be the one who can bring you and me true peace, and not just for this time, but for eternity. The second half of this we want to look at is that last notion of authentic eternal peace. Not a substitute peace, not a a temporal peace, but an eternal peace. So two observations that I think will help us uh, embrace even more this one who is Messiah. Well, first question is this question of power and authority. So these verses tell us that the one who is coming is of a royal line. You look at verses 6 and 7, we see that we have a child born, a son given, so there's one that's arrived on the scene, and the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it with an uphold of justice and righteousness, so on and so forth. Now, the throne of David speaks to the Old Testament king of the nation of Israel, David, who was the second greatest king to live in all of Israel's history. He was uh, royalty by God's design and his kingdom was established by God, but his kingdom was established in a way that's slightly different than you and I would necessarily look at it because normally we would say, well, it's wonderful for David. I'm sure that was great for the nation of Israel, you know, 1,500 years before Jesus arrived on this planet. That would be 3,500 years ago for you and me. That's great, but quite frankly, what does that have to do with me? What's that got to do with my life right now 21st century America? I don't know that it has any bearing on me. I'm happy for those folks, but I don't know if it will impact me. So I, uh, I finally did this. I don't know if I should have done it or not, but it was on sale, so I couldn't resist. Has anybody gone to Ancestry and done this DNA deal? So I, I finally bit the bullet and said, I, I want to know a little bit more about my history and about my background, and they, they promise you that they can give you all kinds of great information, and it's normally $99, now it was only 66 bucks when I bought it. So in my mind, you know what I think, I saved $33, we all know that's not true, I spent 66 but be that as it may, I'm in, in six to eight weeks, because I, I did this all, I, I went and signed up and registered and took the little cup thing and, and put my slide in it, shook it up and put it in the bag and sealed it, put it in the box and mailed it. And they promised me in six to eight eight weeks, they will let me know, you know, of my deep origins. And I'm quite certain, don't panic, six to eight weeks, that's somewhere uh, getting close to Easter. I'll work it into a sermon somehow, so you don't have to worry about anything. However, I'm pretty doggone sure that it's not gonna come back that I'm related to Jesus. (laughs) I just don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think I'm of the line of David. And so what does this particular royal line have to do with me or you. I mean, we saw a picture of Prince Charles of the House of Windsor. Uh, They actually changed their name in the early 20th century from the House of Hamburg to the House of Windsor right uh, during the First World War. Uh, And that's wonderful. And they've been around a long time. They'll probably be around for a long time, but ultimately they're only temporal. Good for them. What about us? Well, that's where we need to understand this royal line. This royal line is not just any royal line. It's actually the royal line. If you go back in the Old Testament, in the earliest parts of the Bible, you go to 2 Samuel, and you see that God tells David something that he tells nobody else that's ever lived before or after. The word of the Lord came to Nathan. Nathan was a prophet. And he said, go and tell my servant David, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your offspring shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Catch this next word forever and your house you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me your house shall be established there it is again forever god has the power and the authority to bring the prince of peace not just for david's generation but for generation after generation after generation the promise of god to extend his salvation all the way down to you and me today comes through not a royal line but the royal line. And notice how God is going to make sure this happens. We come back to the text we've been looking at for the last several weeks. This house is going to be established uh, forever. The zeal of the Lord will do this. What Isaiah is saying there is that God is, is taking special interest in this. It's going to be a delight for God to make sure that the Prince of Peace does what he's called to do and is who he's identified as being as the one who brings an eternal and lasting peace. Zeal is a wonderful word because it it kind of has a double-edged meaning to it. When you have zeal, you kind of work at something with all your might. That's kind of working with zeal, right? Right. Uh, But there are things that you do in your work, in your job, or in your school work, or wherever you find yourself, that you do with all your might, but you don't necessarily love it. You don't really enjoy it. It doesn't get you out of bed in the morning. An example, we set up about 100 extra chairs in here on Wednesday afternoon. There were about eight of us working on it, and we moved them all around because we knew we were going to have a big crowd. We wanted to do our very best to get everybody seated in here. And so for about an hour, there were about eight of us working on it, and it was fine. And I worked hard at it, but I had no passion involved. I don't love moving chairs around. Moving chairs around doesn't get me out of bed in the morning. I did it because it's part of my job and it needed to be done. But there are other aspects of my job. When I get to share the gospel with people, when I get to see a new, new church being birthed, when I get, to, when I get to, to talk to people about Jesus and I'm like, yeah, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's, that's what motivates me. That's who I am in the core of my being. That's the word zeal. So it's not just, you know, doing a hard day's work. It's doing something for which you were created. And, and this says that God is taking great delight in providing for us through his power and authority, the Prince of Peace who will not fail. So we know from this text, we see in this text that he has power and authority. But what about this notion of authentic and eternal peace? Well, I'd like to take a minute or two and talk about some things that that we put the title peace to, but really aren't genuine peace. So, for example, we might say that, you know, there isn't any conflict in the house right now. Nobody's fighting with anybody at this particular moment, right? And so we say that we have a peaceful household, but that's not really true. It's not really peaceful. There just isn't any hostility that happens to be going on at that particular moment. A A great quote from a mom this week. She said, if you love arguing vehemently about lunch at 6 a.m. in the morning, parenting is for you, <laughs> right? right? That's, that, that's, that's what happens, right? I don't want peanut butter and jelly. I want bologna. I don't want bologna. I want tuna salad. I don't want tuna salad. I want to buy my lunch. And all of a sudden, we're yelling at each other at the top of our lungs. And just because we stop to catch our breath doesn't mean that there's peace, But that's what we call it sometimes. And it really, there is no peace. Secondly, we could call avoiding an interaction with with someone who's our tormentor. We could say, that's peaceful. If you've ever lived in a home where you've been verbally abused or, God forbid, physically abused, and, and perhaps that person's absent for a little while, maybe they went on a business trip or they were gone for the day, and you say, oh, my goodness, thank you. I finally have a day of peace. No, you don't. Those of you that have lived in that situation, no, you don't. All you have is a few moments where you don't have to look over your shoulder, you don't have to feel awful about yourself, you don't have to hear the lies of how terrible you are and how you'll never amount to anything, you simply have a moment's break, and the greatest fear is knowing that that person's going to come back, and yet we identify that as peace. That seems strange to me. Another uh, idea might be that it's quiet, but that doesn't mean it's calm. It could just mean that there's still tension in the room. If you've ever been in the middle of an argument, perhaps with a spouse, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's had that experience. Maybe at least two other marriages in this room have had that experience. Uh, Maybe you had that conversation coming in when you saw the room was full and you began to share with each other why you should have been ready earlier in order to get here before the crowd. I'm sure you did that with great love and affection and took all the blame upon yourself. But if you're like me and you didn't, you might just be being quiet while the other person is speaking because you're getting ready to provide the best retort possible so that you win the argument. And so it might be quiet, but it doesn't mean it's calm. It doesn't mean that, that there, there isn't any pain going on. It just means that you're getting ready to strike the blow that, 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 that defeats your foe and wins the, the argument. You're trying to figure out how to fight fire with fire. I always thought that was an odd statement, fighting fire with fire. So Cindy's getting after me and I'm just, I'm saying, I'm going to get her back and I'm going to fight fire with fire. Isn't it odd? Because the fire department actually fights fire with water, not with fire. It puts the fire out and putting more fire on fire doesn't seem to quite do that. And so to call that a moment of peace when it's simply quiet because we're plotting against other is no peace at all. And then lastly, the worst That we call peace that is no peace is we're simply too exhausted to continue fighting we just don't have it in us anymore we're resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to be and it's never ever going to change and this isn't just on the individual scope it's on a community scope as well i mean has anybody grown somewhat hopeless over the issue of race in our community I can't possibly be the only person that thinks, oh my gosh, sometimes I really think we're fighting a battle that absolutely can never be won. There simply can't be peace. It's just too elusive. Not only in communities, but in nations and around the world, there's never a moment of peace. And yet there are times when we use that word to describe something that it's not. This is no peace at all. And it's not what God offers. Quite frankly, of what God is offering me today is a perspective that allows me to catch my breath. Or gives me a day off before the person is going to come back into my life and torment me some more. If that's the best, then I don't want that peace. Because it isn't peace. But that's not the peace that God offers. The peace that God offers is much deeper. It's much richer. It doesn't necessarily change your circumstances. It doesn't necessarily take you out from under the pain and the struggle that you may be in at this particular moment. But it helps you understand the eternal promise of God in a context that allows your spirit a true calm and a real sense of God's presence in your life. There are three parts of God's authentic true peace. The first is this, that he makes peace between us. See, my biggest problem isn't that I don't get along with the people in this world as much as I ought to. My biggest problem is that I don't get along with God, that I've turned my back on him, that I've rebelled against him, and I've told him I don't want anything to do with him, and and I've offended him, and I've sinned against him. And when I turn my back on God, I do harmful things to you. And yet Paul writes in Romans, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How on earth? Justified means it's been made right. I could go into a lot more detail, but let's just leave it at that for right now because you got to get home to supper. It's been made right. My life has been made right with God relationally. How do I have this peace? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that God offers is peace between humanity and himself. It is a restoration of that which God always intended that we would be in perfect relationship with him. So the first peace that God offers by faith, by putting our trust in Christ, is that we'll have peace with God. But that doesn't just take care of our own hearts. It actually begins to work and shape us into different people. And so Paul wrote later on in Ephesians chapter two, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace. He's talking about peace with God, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So what, what Paul is saying there is God has made us right through Jesus, but then what happens is it begins to flow into our human relationships. And I begin to actually be a person of peace, a person that wants to make peace, a person that wants to fight for peace, a person that looks at the world radically differently, not because I woke up one morning and was just a great guy, but because God's spirit is working in my heart And when God's Spirit works in my heart, I want peace more than anything else, true and lasting peace. And so the peace that God makes between us not only comes to me, but it begins to flow through me into the world around me. I can tell you the exact day and hour in my life in 1996 when I realized I didn't want to fight with Cindy anymore, right? I didn't want to win the argument. I just wanted to win her. And it wasn't because I woke up that morning and I just went, you know what? I have really turned into a great guy. (laughs) It just dawned on me as I looked in the mirror how wonderful I am. And now I'm just gonna love Cindy well for the rest of my life. No, the transforming peace of God changed my heart. And it began to flow differently towards her. And it began to flow differently towards the people around me. That's the peace that the prince brings. Peace with God that actually has a positive impact on peace with each other. And then if that's not enough, let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Because uh, Paul speaks here of peace with everything and everyone everywhere. For in him, again, Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This peace is limitless. It knows no boundaries. It knows no walls that it cannot destroy, no mountains that it cannot climb, no relationships that it cannot heal. The peace of God is completely thorough and it is also timeless. Let's go back to what we've been looking at all month long, right? How long is this peace gonna last? And of this peace, there will be no and from this time forth and forevermore what the world needs is for Christians to start embracing the peace of God and start living it out when we leave these four walls and begin to see a different kind of peace the reason we celebrate christmas is not just because we think of a cute little baby in a manger right on a snowy night, I don't think it snows in Bethlehem that often, so we might want to rethink that one. But but it's not just because we, you know, we want to have this special warm moment and then get on with the rest of our lives. It's because that's what changed everything when the Prince of Peace showed up. And he purchased your peace and he purchased my peace by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. We'll get to that in a few months. But this morning or this evening, let me remind us that we celebrate Christmas because it marks the beginning of the only true and eternal peace this world has ever known or will ever know. The way we've been uh, finishing up our sermons this month is the way we're going to finish up this last one. Actually, there's one more at 11 tonight. Uh, But we have had an elder at every service take two to three minutes and share his thoughts on what that particular name means to him. So we've had some elders talk about Wonderful Counselor. We've had some elders talk about Mighty God. We've had some elders talk about, uh, it's Oh, you've got it. Okay. Had some elders talk um, about Everlasting Father, and today we're looking at Prince of Peace, and Joe Brehab is one of our elders, and he has agreed to come and talk a little bit about what Prince of Peace means to him. Joe, I'm going to move that stuff. I'm going to get out of your way.
1: Thanks. Thank you, sir. Oh, good afternoon. Uh, as Tom said, I want to talk about Prince of Peace, but I don't get a lot of opportunities to get in front of everybody and talking, and so I thought before I would talk about the Prince of Peace, I would just get something off my chest. Uh, I have a real problem with um, all of you. Um, <laughs> I mean, at least all of you who have ever driven or ever will drive. Uh, driving in this city, I come up to a four-way stop and there's four cars. I might as well take out a picnic blanket and put it down the middle of the intersection waiting for somebody to decide it's okay to go. And when one of you finally does go, the person across, do they take that opportunity and go at the same time? No, because that would be total anarchy to have two cars right in the intersection. So everybody kind of wastes their turn. And I'm thinking about it because this time of year, it's so much worse. Because you guys, you all want to prove that you're full of brotherly love and holiday spirit. And so you're always, like, hey, you go, go. And nobody gets anywhere. And if we're, near, if we're in a school zone, forget it. Right? Nobody's going anywhere that day. I guess what I'm saying is you guys are like the fat cells in our nation's arterial roadway. And you're giving me a heart attack. I would even say that when you get your license renewed at the DMV, I would say they should ask you one question. It's not about your driving record. It's not about your eyesight. It's not about insurance. One question they should ask you, do you have places you need to be? And if the answer is no, you shouldn't get your license. You have no business being on the road. So, so there's one thing that's clear. I'm the least qualified person to be talking about the Prince of Peace with you. Uh, I am. I'm at war with the world. Uh, I feel the love of God sometimes come down and the peace of God come into me, but it has sometimes trouble getting out. Uh, I don't know if you guys have the same feeling. Maybe it's not about traffic, but maybe for you it's something like there's. Uh, there might be people in your lives—brothers, sisters, moms, dads that they can say something just not quite the right way, and you are so ready to jump and take offense at that. You know, you're just, you're ready to receive it that way. Maybe there's people in your lives, maybe everybody, who you're just continually disappointed in their efforts, right? If only they could be more like you. The world would be this amazing place. Uh, Maybe, um, maybe it's when you look out at the world and you realize that you don't, even, you don't even maybe realize you're doing it, but you're leaving this angry wake behind you. Um, people that you're tearing up out of anger. I know I do this, and I'm, I'm only partially aware of it. Uh, maybe it's people who are, people who smoke, terrible, you know, or people who drink. And like, oh, wait, that's not so bad. Um, maybe it's people who are in better shape than you, you know, so shallow. Um, or people who are in worse shape than you, you know, so lazy. Um, or maybe it's people that are wealthier than you, right? So uncaring. Or people who are not as wealthy as you, so undisciplined. Um, that's how we kind of approach the world, at least I do sometimes. Uh, and it, I'll give you like a practical example. I'll watch my kids doing something as innocent as doing the dishes. And I'll watch them hold the dish under the faucet and they'll just sit there and rely on the process of erosion, you know? (laughs) And this is a process that I I remind them is supposed to take thousands of years. So, you know, it's not really going to work. What are we talking? Prince of Peace. Um, So this this can feel hopeless because it can be as big as being at war with maybe everybody who's a liberal, you know, or hostile to everybody who's conservative. I, I don't, I, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to, I've never experienced a time when half of the people are so hostile and contemptuous of the other half as what we live in right now. And so I look at this and I say, you know, it feels hopeless, but of course it's not hopeless uh, because it's this same world that I'm describing that sometimes drives me a little bit crazy that God offered his son to uh, as reconciliation. And even though that world, initially, us, our first response to that offer was no. And not only that, but it was a, it was a violent rejection. But God took that, that violent act of ours, and instead of pushing it away and us with it, he decided to embrace that and change it into something uh, amazing and glorious that has the power to save every one of us. And because of that, we now have peace with God, like, like Tom said, Romans 5.1. And Paul even says later that because of that, we are called to be at peace with each other as much as we're able. And I thank him for that qualifier. As much as we're able, we're to have peace with each other, uh, the same way that God had peace with us. And I am determined to try to do that. Uh, and I would, I would suggest maybe join me, not by our own power, Just by the power of the Spirit, that we would try to take that peace of God that comes through Jesus Christ and and live it out. Um, When I say this, I know my kids right now are thinking, uh huh, yeah. Five minutes, we'll be in that parking lot, I'll be stuck out there, and then we'll see the peace, right? It'll come flowing out of my mouth. Um, That's fair enough. That's true. I'm not going to solve this tonight, Uh, but I am going to try. Uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I feel like I'm called to begin it because the people that I am rejecting, the Holy Spirit is pursuing. And the people that I can hardly live with, Jesus died for. And the world that I'm at war with, God has already made his peace with. So who am I to argue with that? Let's pray. Father, tonight especially on this day, we remember when we first met your son, the Prince of Peace, who came defenseless into this hostile world and conquered it with love. Father, you made peace with us, your enemies. Now will you please help us to be reconciled to each other. On each of our hearts, please lay the names of the family members, the friends, the relationships, and the situations that Cause each one of us to react sometimes in anger or fear or frustration. Lord, just help us to know right now what those are. In these places that we struggle, please help our outlook to be welcoming, our spirits to be generous, and our hearts to be forgiving. As we offer your peace to one another on this day, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.
2: Jesus is my Prince of Peace. 10 years ago, I had brain surgery. After seven to eight months of nonstop, unbearable pain, they diagnosed me with having a meningioma, which is a tumor in the, in the lining of your brain. And so um, it was the size of about an eyeball, and it was right here between my eyes. So one elders meeting, as we were trying to make a decision, one of the elders said, let's consult the third eye. Oh. (laughs) He was totally joking, of course. (laughs) Um, So the the surgeon decided, instead of taking a chunk of my skull out of my forehead and going in that way, he was going to go up through my nose. And so he did. One of the dangers of that particular surgery is that you can sometimes leak. 5% of of people who go through that surgery leak uh, cerebral spinal fluid. Well, this is the first time in my life that I reached the elite 5%. It did leak after the first time. And so these two days after my first surgery... They took me down to the waiting room in the theater, in the operating theater, to be there exactly at the time when the surgeon finished a previous case so that he could take care of me. While I was lying on one of those gurneys, it's about two and a half feet wide and about an inch thick of padding, and all I could do was stare at the ceiling. And so I stared at the ceiling, and an hour went by. And then another hour went by, and I thought, you know... That first surgery didn't really go too well, and I had a really bad reaction to the anesthetic. So, here I am. And as I was in that spot, my prince of peace reminded me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three men that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, threatened to throw into the fiery furnace. And as they stood at the brink of that fiery furnace, and he... And they they looked at Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, "O King, you can throw us into this fiery furnace; We know that God can deliver me, deliver us from this furnace, but whether or not He does, we will still serve him and that became my prayer and as I prayed that whether I get through this or not, whether I fully recover, whether i don't recover at all, whatever happens." I will still serve you. And the joy of that surrender gave me peace. So I came through that surgery, and it seemed to have gone really, really well, enough so that they sent us home back to Birmingham where we lived at the time. And about two days later, I was laying on in my bed, and I felt something tickling in my throat. And I sat up, and my hands were filled with cerebral spinal fluid. They had to medevac me from Birmingham to to Pittsburgh, where we were. And they had to keep me perfectly flat. Because if I sat up, I'd lose it. But in that flight over, my Prince of Peace kept reminding me that he has me in his hands. So I didn't get bothered. I didn't get... I was at rest because he, I felt his rest in his hands underneath me. So that went fine, that surgery, and I have had no trouble in that area ever since. So there's a happy ending to that story. But it doesn't matter. You know, the, the stories aren't always happy endings. But we can know this, that the Prince of Peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus as we lean upon him. And so I want to ask you today, will you call out on the name of the Prince of Peace and say, Jesus, I'm yours? Let's pray. Hmm. That you can be with every human being Across the face of this earth, who calls on your name is astounding to me. That you can be so personally present with each one of us, that you can speak into our hearts in a moment and bring that peace when everything else is screaming chaos and this will never work. You are there. So today, on Christmas Eve, We welcome you, Jesus, born into our world. It is in your name we pray.
3: Amen. Good morning. You just put the pressure on me two or three minutes. That's not what I was told earlier, but I'll try to keep it, unlike Tom, a little shorter uh, than anticipated. Uh, Let me just ask real quick. Has anyone here this Christmas season been to a, a performance of the Messiah? Or Listen to the music at all. Isn't that awesome? That's great. I I can't look at the the words here on the banner here and and talk about the Prince of Peace without mentioning that. Um, You know, I had to study it in college. I make my kids listen to me. Let me uh, listen to it. Let me just say, if you really want to get into the Christmas spirit today, I think you should go home and probably YouTube. Uh, the movement of "For unto us a child is born" or the Hallelujah chorus. Get the lyrics in front of you, and, and I promise you, it'll really get you into the Christmas spirit because it's just a, a wonderful testament to song and, and worship. But let me let me just back to the Prince of Peace. Um, you know, the Bible says that on the night the Christ was born, angels appeared in the sky and proclaimed, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased." And I think that's been translated by a lot of people to mean, you know, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And it seems, I'm guessing, ever since that night uh, back in history, that those words have really become almost an indelible part of Christmas and wrapped into all of the other Christmas traditions and legends and myths and everything. And and what's probably uh, most uh, heart-wrenching is that really the idea of peace on earth and goodwill towards men are really, it's almost more unbelievable than a lot of the other parts of Christmas. Why is that? Well, on the night that Christ was born, there was nothing particular peaceful about it. You know the story. Uh, You know the story of his life. You know that he ultimately was crucified on a Roman cross. So not a lot of peace in his time. And certainly, you know, that's been the story since then. Not a lot of peace in our time. We have wars and rumors of wars in North Korea and Afghanistan and Iraq and Assyria and refugees and immigrants. And here closer to St. Louis, you know, it doesn't take too much to understand the violence that's going on in our city, the drug abuse, injustice, poverty, racial strife, all of that is really, really overwhelming and raises serious questions about the prospects and existence of peace on earth. But if I'm really honest, you know, that's just the half of it. I think my real true struggle to understand peace starts internally, starts every morning when I get up and I'm kind of confronted by the blackness of my own heart. And the sin that, that makes its home in that heart and resides there. And, and I'm overwhelmed at times by my desperate, unceasing, unceasing, striving efforts to fix all of those problems. And many times that leaves me uh, feeling like I'm at the mercy of my own sinful impulses. And in those moments, I can be overwhelmed by my own position. Uh, my eyes are on my condition, the condition of, of uh, us as humans. And I think it's safe to say that that my natural position is at times anything but peaceful. So how then is God the Prince of Peace? You know, it raises serious questions, is the peace he offers feeble, worse yet a lie? Can it be said that he really cares about me, my individual condition or the condition of my fellow man? You know, and if I was writing some dark, you know, Cormac McCarthy type novel, I'd probably stop it right there and just leave you wrestling with that darkness and what it means. But uh, it's Christmas Eve, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to bring it back up here a second, so don't get all down, down and depressed. But I'm not—I'm not bringing it back because I'm a good guy. I'm bringing it back because that's not where the Savior leaves us. The good news <clears throat> this Christmas morning is that His peace is real. In the words of John Piper, it's volcanic. You got me. <laughs> It's a peace that's not based on the circumstances of our lives, but it exists and, in fact, thrives in spite of them. It's flowing, powerful beyond measure. It's earth-shaking, life-changing, and not really like the peace of this world. And because of that, it really surpasses our ability to even understand it at times. The fact is, his peace is enough to cure the blackness of my heart and yours. And because of that, it's certainly enough to cure all the ills of our society, because where else but from our human hearts do those ills emanate from. So where do I go to find this appearance of peace? What's it look like? Well, let me suggest to you that in those moments where I can be overwhelmed, I've, I've found that my eyes are on the wrong place. I'm looking as the song goes for love and for peace in all the wrong places. Um, it's pretty typical for me. I think it's pretty typical for us. We are a distracted and manipulative people. I think it's not unusual that we take things that were intended for one purpose and we mold them to fit some other purpose that, that we think feels good or meets a need of ours. After all, despite the fact that, that I love hearing Handel's Messiah at Christmas, it was never meant to be presented at Christmas time, it was meant to be presented at Easter. And while I like to hear the hallelujah chorus, the hallelujah chorus doesn't just celebrate the birth of our Christ. It celebrates his resurrection and ascension. And that is very, very important. And let me be so bold this morning on a Christmas Eve morning to say that I don't think the best picture of Christ as the Prince of Peace is found in Luke 2. And a babe swaddled in a manger with angels proclaiming peace overhead. I think it's found in John 20. In verses 19 and 21, and if you go there later and you read it, you'll find this. That on the night that, the, that Jesus was resurrected from the tomb, his disciples are locked in an upper room, scared to death at probably the lowest point in their life. They're racked with fear. Everything they believed in is being tested. They're worried that the ruling religious party will come and kill them as well. And in that moment of deep and dark despair, Christ appears before his best friends on earth. And he says to him, peace be with you. And he looks at him, and he holds out his hands, and he shows him the nail-scarred hands, and he shows him his pierced side, and he says to him again, peace be with you. I feel like Tom. (laughs) That's the real Prince of Peace, the crucified and risen Savior, the Son of the King, who offers us the kind of peace that he alone, until his resurrection, enjoyed with the Father. A peace that's not like this world's peace that's entirely dependent on our circumstances but that transcends it. And a peace for which the foundation is the unshakable, immovable love of God the Father. A peace that once received can never be taken away. A peace built on the blood sacrifice of Jesus and a peace where we are known, sin and all, completely and completely loved and stand before God the Father uncondemned. That's the true peace and that's the true Prince of Peace. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate your coming to this earth. But Lord, we thank you to, for the opportunity to celebrate the completion of your earthly story as well, your death and resurrection, and your ascension to on high, Lord, and, and we just thank you that you stand before us in our deepest and darkest moments. And, and extend to you a peace, a peace that is eternal and permanent, and a peace that you won for us, Lord, on the cross. Lord, this Christmas season, it's, it's, and, and every day of the year, it's my hope that each of us here will come to know the Prince of Peace more each day. That we will learn to live in the reality of, of his love and the peace that it brings more and more each day. And that we will be inspired and moved by it to share that love and that peace with our fellow man until you come again and perfect your peace on this earth.
4: God could be so small, how tiny fingers reaching in the night, where the very hands measured the sky. Hallelujah, hallelujah, heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Eyes had seen the dawn of time. How his ears had heard an angel symphony. Still, Mary had to rock her savior to see. Hallelujah. Down to, to save the, the world, world. Christ born in Bethlehem a baby born to save to save the souls of man hallelujah
0: you to set everything aside except your candles. Put everything around you on the floor, on the seat next to you if you have an opening. So before we get to the really fun, serious part of this, the whole trick to a candlelight service where you don't have to have the cleaning company come and do the carpets the next day is that once your candle is lit, you keep it straight up and down. So as you turn to the person next to you, which you're going to admit to help them light theirs, you keep yours straight and they turn theirs. Does that makes sense? And that way we don't have to have the carpets clean. The cool part about this is not just that it's Christmas Eve and we do a candlelight service because back in the day they didn't have electricity, but it's because there's no light in my life. There's no peace in my life. I don't have anything to offer you if it's just Tom Ricks. You know, maybe a pat on the back and let's hang in there and, 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 and go through futility together. But once my candle is lit, which is lit on the center candle, which is the Christ candle, it's the light that's come into the world. Now I have peace. Now I have light. Now I have uh, a true meaning for living. And that's what I can share with you. And that's what we can share with one another. So I'm going to ask the elders, if you would begin to come forward, I'm going to light my candle from the Christ candle. And then we're going to come and light candles for you. And once we start that, we're going to stand and sing Silent Night. <music>
1: Go ahead and stand.
4: Right, right
0: I'm going to ask that we read uh, the verse out loud together that we've been studying all month. It starts on that banner, and then it goes to that banner. Let's read together. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. With your hand behind your flame, blow your candle out. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. As you exit, you can drop your candles off in the box as you go out. Uh, Before the benediction, let me remind you, if you need prayer this morning, our Stephen ministers, uh, our prayer team will be over here on the right. Uh, Even on Christmas Eve, if you need prayer, we want to make sure that we pray for you. And now receive the Lord's benediction, which I gladly offer to you in in his name. And now may the God of peace fill your hearts with his eternal and authentic peace, that you may share it with the world that so desperately needs the peace of God. Amen. The Lord bless you. Merry Christmas. Go in peace.